This is Joe De La Fuente. This is for those of you who have not heard our first podcast, one by Tatiana Andrusov, writer, novelist of books, most of which deal with the international community, the people you hear about who go on aid or peacekeeping missions. Last week, Tatiana told us she would tell us about her first time working for the United Nations. What was your experience at the United Nations as a 21-year-old? I was going to talk about being on the Secretary General's floor as a 21-year-old, but given what we're going through right now in these United States, I thought it might be better to talk about the UN's Motley Crew. Before I did so, I decided to look up Motley Crew and discovered that the expression went back to the times of Queen Elizabeth in England and comes from the many colors of the costume worn by the court jester. That is the clown who could say anything that he wanted to anyone at court over 450 years ago. That kept everyone, including the queen, aware of their basic humanity. The fact that we all, irrespective of whether we are important or not, die, that we all need to eat, that we all need to relieve ourselves. I realized that I had chosen the right word, that the UN's motley crew was ahead of the time we are living in, a reflection of the various colors and textures of the outward skin and hair that we all exhibit to each other and that we hide from each other with an overlay of clothes. Why do I say ahead of our time? Because just 50 years ago, when I entered the United Nations, the majority of us lived in bubbles where on a daily basis we did not meet, let alone interact with many people outside of our skin tones and hair textures and cultural interpretations of eating, talking, dealing with people. Did you live in a bubble? In Europe, in Belgium, where I was born, Though my parents and their friends were refugees from the Soviet regime forced to work in Belgium's cold mines while most waited for the opportunity to get an immigration visa to the United States, Canada, Australia, even Argentina, if they wanted to stay in the West, they referred with denigration to the workers who came from Sicily, calling them savages because the men walked around in their tank tops while they forgot that when they got together in the garden or back of their houses, they did the same thing when it was hot. Coming to the States, where most wound up in factory jobs in the North, they did the same thing with most African Americans as they tried to find housing as far away from them or Puerto Ricans as they could settling in many enclaves with other peoples from the Soviet sphere or Eastern Europe. The us and them mentally changing with how near or far a group was from their original culture. Thus, Poles and Russians, who would normally keep distance from each other, suddenly found that they were family, kulturnie, cultured, it was a matter of being with those who were more like them than anything else. My parents, however, moved away from all of that. 
going to a part of town that was American. In other words, white, wasp, a mix of Protestant, and in our case, Jewish, but American Jewish. That is mostly Reformed Jewish. When did you move out of your bubble? My first taste of others, one making me different, was in college. At Mount Holyoke, I wound up, most unusually, under the tutelage of a junior sister, Sushila Shah, who happened to be an Indian from Tanzania, a Hindu who was vegetarian. For someone who loved history as I did and was bent on studying China, this was wonderful. I was in Asia, but also, because she came from Africa, introduced to that continent. And one of my first friends at the college was Lee, Leonora, an African-American who, like me, loved classical ballet. When I announced to my parents that she was coming to our house, they almost had a fit. However, by the time she had spent the weekend, my mother hugged her fiercely and announced that I should be more likely. Oh yes, she was a Quaker, and I went to visit her and her parents. They were a most educated, upper-middle-class family living near Philadelphia. And later? You could say that college prepared me for the motley crew at the UN, for the two incredible people I had as the top people, the bosses, when I came in 1969 on a six-week summer stint replacing the vacationing librarian of the United Nations Scientific Committee on Atomic Radiation was the Secretary General of the United Nations himself, Utant, a Burmese, and Ralph Bunch, the top American in the organization at the time, the winner of the 1950 Nobel Peace Prize and he was an African-American. Of course, they were just people to whom I could smile as I glimpsed them and walked on the 38th floor, the top floor of the Secretariat building. I was on the 32nd floor, but my little area was directly under their floor, under the Secretary General, and my administrative officer was the same as theirs. It was a time when security was ever so light compared to today. Besides, being summer, it was even lighter than usual, so I had coffee in the delegates' lounge and became used to men. Remember, they were mostly men at that time who represented their countries in the world organization. The diplomats of all colors from all parts of the world behaved like diplomats. Their language, their bearing, their culture were much more comfortable for me than the language, the bearing, the culture in the streets of New York. And how did it continue? Thus, by the first time I had my real position at the United Nations in 1974, after getting a master's degree in international relations from a completely new program at Fairleigh Dickinson University, one led by an incredibly well-educated, cultivated Iranian, a philosopher, Nasrullah Fatimi, who co-authored a book on Sufism, a man who brought diplomats from various countries in the United Nations to teach us. I was used to my community. One where skin color, hair texture, and language was not a criteria. But what did not being in a racial 
cultural or religious bubble mean on a daily basis? Oh, yes. That did not mean that I or my colleagues did not have criteria for choosing our friends among our international community members. Each one of us has affinities and tastes. One of my tastes is for European classical music. Thus, on a short-term posting in Bangkok in the 1970s, I wound up having, as one of my best friends, Ben Dorkanu from Ghana, someone who shared that taste and even brought a classical pianist to his house for a concert. The city was under curfew, and now many people are used to curfews, with tanks in some streets, and I wound up sitting next to that pianist, an Israeli, and listening to him play Chopin during a great part of an unforgettable sleepless night. Back in Geneva, that somehow led to a party at my apartment, one where the main guest was another Ghanaian, a man who was being considered as a possible future secretary general. That party included friends from every continent. Other examples? Another great friend in Geneva was Hikmat Nabulsi of Lebanon, the head of UN Volunteers, who lived in the same apartment building as I, and who used me to show young volunteers how to dress properly in different countries and cultures. One time, when I was away on a mission, he talked me into letting his friend, Eugene Ukel, who was Iranian, stay in my apartment. That turned into something special, as Eugene, looking at the books I had on my shelves, decided that I was in the wrong profession. At that time, I was a simultaneous interpreter, Russian, French, English. A couple of years later, after some time at the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy, I wound up in the United Nations Development Program's second management training course. You see, Eugene was the director of personnel in that organization. I wound up in Africa. One real reference in my book, Choices, is a play called Mr. Newrich, about a newly rich man who creates a cold European-like house in Cameroon in middle Africa and emulates the people who had colonized his country. I actually went to see that play when I worked in Yaoundé and was the only white face in an audience of at least 500. The people close to me were really watching me suspiciously. What was I doing there? The play was so sarcastic, so funny, that I could not help laughing, just like everyone else. When my fellow playgoers saw me enjoying it as they did, the absurdity of it all, they smiled. There is nothing like being accepted as a fellow human by other humans. We are so alike, after all. Don't we all speak? Anything else? That reminds me of another wonderful incident. When the People's Republic of China was brought into the United Nations, their ambassador to Geneva was a man whose last name was An, with the Chinese character of peace. 
One day, as I by chance ran to him in the new extension of the palais with a Chinese colleague on my side and exchanged a few words with him in Chinese, he asked me how come I spoke Chinese. I gave a brief explanation. He asked my name and I said Androsov. He obviously heard the an because he looked at me and said, in Chinese of course, well I am Lao An, Old An, actually a very honorable way to refer to someone who is older in the Chinese content. And you are Xiao An, little or young An, young piece. Thus, I have my Chinese name. However, now, at 72, I am Old An, Lao An, old piece. There is another very short but significant story. It was raining cats and dogs in Geneva one day. I was getting out of a meeting and contemplating having to run to my car far away in the open parking lot. Somehow, I did not know it was going to rain, or it may be that rain had not been part of the weather forecast. In any case, I did not even have an umbrella. I obviously looked desolate because a much older man, I was in my late 20s and rather pretty at that time, asked me if he could take me home in his car. My eyes must have popped out. The man was in impeccable traditional Arab robes. I was coming out of interpreting a high-level meeting. Help, said my brain. The man looked at me seriously. Do you think I would do something, he said very simply. My driver and car are waiting outside. I had the nicest drive to my apartment house and bowed my head in thanks. I never learned who he was, but from the car, the driver and plates knew a distinguished, gentle man had helped me avoid getting drenched. How would you like to finish? Just tell all who listen to get my books especially as far as the human family is concerned, Mangoes and Blood, about an unusual hostage situation with people from every corner of the world, choices set in Africa, and the question of seduction, Eros and Agape, with a hero who is an Arab Muslim from the rich Gulf, Arab Gulf. And where may someone find your books? On Amazon. Just go to Amazon with my name, Tatiana Androsov, and the names of the books. Thank you very much, Tatiana. Thank you. 